You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency me up, man. in their you lives. Fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Marcus, we don't often do shows like this, but there is some there are some relevant factors going on board with this show today. One being that. You know, in a time where the justice system is becoming more and more under scrutiny because of all kinds of discrepancies. I mean, hell, who do we have? We had uh, Kwame Anjanu. Who else? Kwame Ajamu was on. Yeah, we had Dewey, Dewey Bozell on. You know, where these people served this ungodly amount of time for, you know, testimony that was incredibly off, incredibly wrong. One of the things I'm hooked on right now is a documentary that came on Netflix, Making a Murderer, right? And now, uh, I mean, you, you watched it, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been telling Wizard about, it. you know, to have a person wrongfully incarcerated based on the, the bureaucratic uh, momentum of a whole department in Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, and the sheriffs, mm-hmm. you got to watch this, Wizard. You know, that a guy lost 18 years of his life, and I'm not done with the rest, but you said it's it's incredible, huh? Boy, we're in a pickle here. I can't talk about it because I don't want to ruin this show for you. Right on. But right if on. you keep talking. <laughs> You're going to drop it, yeah. No, no, you you have no idea how that's going to end, man. Wow. No, I, I'm, I, I just, I just want to see I, But what's remarkable to me, and my old man has been an attorney for 54 years, right? I grew up with the law all around me, ran a big law firm down in South Florida. You know, our, that's my discussions as a kid with my father were about the morality of human existence versus the legal system, sure, right? The confusion and correlating the law to reality. Right, and that and how that happened. There's so right? many different variables in every situation. You go in for one, this, the, this is the code you're going under. But when you tell the story, like you got to apply it. That's, man, that's... It changes dramatically. And judge, I think... Judge somebody. Right, right. And we've seen it in our community over the course of the last 17 years, really. I mean, we've seen some really pronounced cases, right, Wizard? Yeah, one that... Uh... I mean, one that really comes to mind is uh, Keith Berry's case where it was a sexual assault case by the Navy. Um, and then eventually, to make a long story short, they, in his appeal after he had served three years, the politicizing of that issue, uh, creating pressure and, and basically making him into a scapegoat type of an example. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me, and, and to go back, Marcus, what you were just referencing is, you know, it's virtually impossible to differentiate to separate human emotion from objectivity, right? We, we want to believe we can, just the facts, ma'am, right? 
We want to believe that in some capacity, the justice system that's been created within America and then kind of more siloed within the uniform code of military justice, that that the the truth and the facts will always prevail. But there is the fact that we operate based on emotion at our core. That's the way we're designed you look at all the different great psychologists out there in the world, man. You well, uh, listen to Jordan Peterson nowadays, and that's that core moral code that ends up driving objectivity to in its underlying current. That and the fact that there seems to be because it's the judicial system is such a complicated animal these days that you have these conflicting motivations, particularly if you look at um, a lot of. I'm not going to say a lot. The prosecutor can fall victim to, exactly. to the incentive of advancing his career and placing that priority, which obviously your career, your, your life, your reputation is a very high priority for any individual. But yep. when you put it in that context, that creates a, <clears throat> an opportunity for great wrongdoing. Well, that's, it's when, you, when, you made, when you made it a competition, like a win-loss. Exactly. Good point. Great you should, you should put that in there. I mean, that, that changed everything. The competitive, yeah. the yeah. innate comp- competition that exists it within be, us. And you, you kind of would think, it, like, while you're coming up in grade school, the the law, you probably should, everyone should be their own lawyer, right? So you know when you go to get into something, whether or not, you know. <laughs> civics, and they don't even teach <laughs> yeah, civics. They don't teach civics They anymore, do not do teach they? civics, really, anymore. Some private schools teach it pretty good, but. Most other schools, they they uh, it's more of a sociolo- uh, sociology uh, chapter. But in terms of how your justice uh, system works on a on a on a uh, municipal level, on a state mm-hmm. level, and a federal level, man, that kids have no idea. Yeah, because it's too late. It sucks learning civics when you're in jail. <laughs> and that's the problem. And we see yeah, all the time. When you start your civics class in the courtroom, that's a little you behind behind a little bit. You're way behind. And I think that's what our hope is. That with, goes down to the morality. Exactly. Like when and, you just walk and around, it's like, case. does that feel right? And if it doesn't, probably not. That's how the, the laws are written out. Well, well now uh, you're getting into a whole uh, other concept of, of how we justify morality. <laughs> uh, uh, see, I was going to see if you're going to pull me back. Let, hey, 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 we'll, hey, we'll, we'll wait for Jordan <laughs> Peterson to come on a show we'll for that, that one, for right? a five-hour yeah. special. Yeah. So, you know, I think what our mission is in terms of providing the never quit perspective is to show that spectrum across the board within humanity across the board whether it's within you know the inner city injustices or the UCMJ you know potentially and what we ultimately want in every situation is for justice for to prevail in a in a speedy and efficient manner so People don't needlessly suffer on both sides. And I think that's what we're really trying to do here, uh, in particular in this episode. So welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. And dun, 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 the wizard. Welcome aboard, Wizard. Oh, that was nuanced and short. I appreciate that. Well, every now and then I got to try it up a little, change it up a little bit, right? You're a master of your skill set. Whoa, that's the first compliment you've given me master in three years. Master of your fate, captain of your soul. That's, that's, the second, that's the second compliment. Second compliment, right? right? Master right? of your fate, captain of your soul. Oh, I like yeah, that. Victus, right? You are on point, man. I love it. You're on point. You are now, you know what this means. 
you are now officially a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> that is your foremost title right now. You know that, right? Now you are. That's funny because I went downstairs to help the guy with the the, the tanks over there. Yeah. He's like, what, what are y'all doing, Marcus? I was like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, who do y'all have on? I, I was telling him, and then he goes, "Man, I'm I'm gonna go put it on right." He had his. The, Ted, yeah, you can walk around with those. Yeah, now. and he had, I was hollering at him, and he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't turn around. Like, yeah, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gives you the old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you see the. Uh, uh, there's a truck coming. Uh, <laughs> 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 the best YouTube videos are when people are texting, falling into the into the, oh, fal- into the films, <laughs> and the, or they run into the doors, the sliders. Oh God. People, right? I, I, I love our, yeah, I love it. The human race, man, it's so is much awesome. fun. God bless all y'all yeah. for being around, man. It makes life. And, and we want to so say, easier. God bless to all our listeners. If this is your first show, stand by for a doozy. If you're coming back for more, thank you so much. We appreciate you. We love you. It means the world to you. Uh, we just also want to thank Westwood One and for being a part of the Westwood One Podcast Network. We're so grateful that we can be a part of uh, your incredible family and team. If you want to know more about what it is we do, please visit us at tnqpodcast.com where you can download all our shows, see why we're doing write-ups on each guest. Uh, if you also want to follow us, we're on every other podcast platform there is on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, CastBox. We're streaming on Spotify now, Stitcher. Um, please visit our merchandise section. You can buy shirts, hats, the whole kit and caboodle. And if you want to follow us on social media, please follow us uh, for the show at TNQ Podcasts. Uh, the team at Team Never Quit, Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, the Wizard at the Wizard TNQ, and me at Team Frog Logic. All right, Wizard. All right. If you could, man, could you share a little bit about um, who the subject of our guest? We're bringing on his wife, uh, Andrea, and his brother, Sean. But could you share a little bit about Eddie Gallagher? Yeah. Eddie Gallagher, U.S. Navy Chief SEAL, 19 years of service and eight combat tours, six as a Navy SEAL. He served from Kosovo to Iraq in the Gulf War to Afghanistan, and uh, most recently back to Iraq fighting the scourge known as ISIS. Military bio here, 1999, he enlists. He becomes a corpsman, and then as a Navy corpsman, he was attached to a Marine Corps unit. So in 2000, he did his first deployment to Kosovo. Following this, he does something very unusual and rather uh, unbelievable. He volunteers now as a Navy corpsman. He volunteers for Marine Scout Sniper School and is allowed to go. He ends up becoming the first non-Marine to ever graduate the school, which is says something in in and of itself uh, about Eddie. As a scout sniper, he then in 2003 deploys in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom to Mosul, and in 2004 he decides. He wants to take up the challenge of buds, and that's where I personally met Eddie. He and I so went cool. through went through buds together, and then uh, seal qualification training together. It was the last hard class, right? Um, the hardest. Did you guys have snow difficult. in San Diego and sh- and stuff like it that? It snowed, gravity inverted, earthquake. Um, the ocean earthquake. ocean froze. Hundred foot, foot waves. Mm, yeah, the Nino. Didn't they, didn't they chop a couple guys' arms off and stuff? 
yeah. heard about that. Everyone was required to amputate some part of their body just to make it more difficult. Y'all don't have uniforms either, right? Or they, they were only, naked. Uh, they only boots. fed us sand, and we only drank salt water, mm. which God. they had to defrost because the ocean was frozen. Right. <laughs> but you know, you had to. You had oh, to be there. Oh, God, yeah. that's hard. <laughs> All right, so he goes on to deploy um, several times after that to various parts of the world. As in his career, he accomplished becoming, I mean, lead sniper. He's a lead platoon medic, lead breacher, a fire team leader, a master training specialist, squad leader. Eventually, he's a, petty, he's a lead petty officer for his platoon. He was awarded twice a bronze star with V for Valor, as well as numerous other, other medals. Uh, he was Sailor of the Year, Sailor of the Quarter, for his command, which are you know titles granted to you know s- particularly superior or dedicated Marcus, operators. Didn't you command. get Sailor of the Universe once? I was up for it. You were, but you didn't get it. Oh. You know what I got? Mm. I got Sailor the Head. Yeah, yeah. I could clean those shitters better than anybody else. Yep. You know, former Sailor Chris Cassidy got right. Yeah, Star Lord. Star Lord. <laughs> Which, if anyone's wondering, is the pinnacle of all titled achievements. Star Lord. Star Lord. <laughs> Moving on back to Eddie. Sorry. Um, Sailor of the Year, Sailor of the Quarter. In fact, on his last deployment, 2017 to Iraq, and this is going to become particularly poignant in uh, the next phase of the explanation here of Eddie's situation. He was named by his command the number one SEAL chief of their top platoon in recognition of, of his achievements, performance over that whole workup and deployment. So moving on to phase two, after 19 years of service, eight combat tours, he's a husband, uh, he's a husband and father of two young children. On September 11th of 2018, that's Patriot's Day, he was, he was arrested, shackled, and taken to prison, held in solitary confinement for 72 hours, and has now been in jail for over the past two months with only communication uh, between attorney and a couple members of his family. That's why Eddie will not be on the show with us today, even though we would love to have him. But he's gonna be, we're going to be joined by Andrea, his wife, and Sean, his brother. He's facing a total of 14 criminal counts, including premeditated murder and the alleged stabbing death of an ISIS fighter, which was brought in by Iraqi fighters uh, for, for medical care. That was during the deployment in which he received such accolades as mentioned before. He was also being put in for the Silver Star during that deployment as well, too. Which really shows the conflict here in this whole narrative. To highlight more, con- more conflict in uh, the story that the, that the prosecution is trying to paint here of Eddie, um, his Article 32 hearing, which is the military court equivalent of a, you know, a, a preliminary hearing, the lead prosecutor, Commander Christopher Chesplek, I believe I'm saying that, cor- that correct, he said, does the public still have faith in the U.S. Navy SEALs after Chief Gallagher decided to kill civilians so that he could beat Chris Kyle's body count? Does the public still hold the United States Navy in high esteem after Chief Gallagher tried to kill a little girl on a bridge? Does the public still believe we're the good guys because Chief Gallagher decided to act like a monster the terrorists accuse us of being? End quote. I don't know what to say about that other than that um, does not jive whatsoever with my personal knowledge of who Eddie is, and uh, that is in direct contravention of everything I know about his character. 
Well, I'll tell you what we need to do. Let's bring his wife and his brother on, and let's learn more about Eddie. Marcus, the thing that makes this show so incredible, so awesome, so profound is that for the first time, we are having the family members of our brother on the show, the family members on to tell the mighty story of one of our warrior brothers. And I know once we get into this, everybody that's scratching their head right now going, what the? We will, you will be clear. You will understand exactly why and the purpose for us doing this. Are you fired up? I oh, mean, yeah. how, what a different perspective this is. Oh, yeah. We just had him. We had the family on here a little while ago and I got to spend some time with him. So I'm glad to have him back. Man, we got all kinds of amazing things going on that I'm sure the wizard will kick down here in a little bit, too. We got all nice. I guess I'm the only real outsider. So let me get to the <laughs> let's get to the meat and the potatoes. This thing. Let's introduce these two. Let's get this going, because this is going to be a powerful, powerful show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, please welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast, Andrea and Sean Gallagher. Thank you all. Hi, thank you. Thanks, thank guys. you. It's a privilege. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you all coming on. Uh, and, and just like I said when you first came on the video there, uh, we are all praying for you and your family uh, and praying for Eddie. So thanks yeah. for being Amen. here. Thank you so much. All right. So as you both know, I sent you about 20 million emails. You've got to go through the mad minute, right? And, and, and we all know what the mad minute is. And, and it is a wonderful part of, of being in the teams and working for whomever. And it's just the fun part. So you guys better be prepared. Well, we're going to do Andrew. You're going to handle Eddie's mad minute questions. I know it's a little unorthodox, but this is an unorthodox situation. So, so I hope you're prepared and you're ready for these. All right. Now these are as Eddie would answer. Answer. And if you get in the bind, just just answer how you would answer, because you're in a never okay. quit moment yourself. All right, all right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Marcus. All right, sweetie. Last song you sat in the car and listened to the whole thing play out. Ooh, good. Oh wow. Oh, I don't even know. This is from Eddie's perspective. I didn't know that that, that one just got tossed out there when I was thumbing through my head. <laughs> so basically, yeah, whatever. No, here's how we're going to play this, right? So whatever your answers are coming from you is what he, we're going to apply to him. Yeah, so if it's, I love it. Uh, I love yeah. it. I love it. This girl's on fire. What an That's fine. We'll use that one yeah, too. <laughs> Go for okay. it. Okay. I'm going to say it was probably something from an 80s station. Let's just say it was. Um, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. I think that's oh, so weird. Awesome! I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, I that you know, Mike play, Tyson. Play, remember the dating game back in the day? The outtakes like so. Where is the strangest place you've made whoopee? <laughs> 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 remember that girl that blowed on there? Those outtakes are oh, hilarious, oh, man. God. Y'all remember? You remember those? What wasn't that the, on the uh, newlywed game? The newly, newlywed, yeah, yeah newlywed seventies. Like oh, oh god, epic! That is hilarious. <laughs> wow! All right, I should have sat on that one and waited for it to yeah, come back. Yeah, you should have. Like, All right, check it out. All right, here you go. 
<laughs> Go ahead, wizard. Yeah. All right. This one you can safely answer for the both of you. Okay. Give us the worst vacation or worst vacation moment that y'all ever had. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, that's pretty easy. So we actually went to Cabo San Lucas, and we went to a timeshare that my sister gave us. And mm-hmm. I don't remember the actual name of it, but we called it the Royal Crappus. And <laughs> they, they just tried to sell us a timeshare the whole time. And then finally... We had we had been upfront enough that I think they finally started blacklisting us so like they wouldn't invite us on any <laughs> excursions or anything. But we had a great time, um, just the two of us. But I ended up getting horribly sick. It was the first time I'd ever left the country. And so oh, no. I was basically sick, bedridden on our honeymoon. And I distinctly remember crying at Spanglish and Eddie was just like, Are you really crying at Spanglish? <laughs> <laughs> and I was. And that was, yeah, it was a really um, interesting moment in our new marriage. Melly and I, our, our honeymoon was horrible. Horrible. Yeah. I mean, from start uh, to finish. It, it was epically yeah. horrible, like movie horrible. Yeah, I, I had my favorite story to tell. I had the same with that, my ex. We went to South Africa and I wanted to go shark diving. And so we went out and we got out and like a nine footer came in and I was like in my speedo ready to jump in. They're like, no, 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 man, chill out. We had two 15 footers yesterday. It'll be, we sat there for six hours, four to six foot chop with the seal rock blowing on us. My, my ex got sick for four days. She was jacked up and I, yeah, 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 no. That takes the cake on my Spanglish. And- <laughs> it was horrible. I guess that's why we're divorced. I don't know. High pressure time sell, uh, timeshare sales can be pretty horrific. Yeah, man. Let's oh, go. Dude, we've been burned on those. Uh, you can go either way. Oh, that, it was horrible. So I have a real quick thing. The guy who was trying to sell us asked us a question about like, oh, do you guys have kids or whatever? He pulled out his wallet and there's a magazine picture of a little girl. That's from a magazine. And he's like, this is my no little way. girl. She speaks four languages. And we're like, is this really? I love it. That's a good <laughs> sales plug. Yeah. Hey, that's a salesman there. Yeah, they teach that in Mexico. <laughs> that's, that is the Mexican hard sell right he, there. He absolutely knows that you that you know that's that, that's fake. And he's throwing it out there anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's that confident. Check yeah. out my kids. <laughs> uh, all right. You know, I feel bad for, for Sean over there. Sean, I'm bringing you into the fold on this one. All right. I yes, want to know, I want to know what Eddie's most embarrassing moment when oh. he was a kid. Oh, great question, man. I had a good one for the vacation for us as a family, but this one is a, this one's a tough one. Eddie's most embarrassing moment as a kid. Well, I'm going to say what's most embarrassing for me is his brothers when he got a haircut and he's in seventh grade and it was, uh, he went straight up like nineties alternative where he parted it straight down the middle but and it, it was shaved underneath and it like there's like school photos of this where it, it dang like he has it over his ears and he was just constantly in his eyes so for like two years our family was, eddie, i can't i can't see eddie and he was like shut up i'm cool <laughs> so, uh, yes. so, and the, the kicker too, right? The kicker is that my dad was in the army. And we were stationed in Korea, so we're in Seoul. Eddie gets this haircut and pretty okay. much sticks with it for like the whole time that we're in state. We're stationed there, so there's going to be a bunch of people 
from 1993 who met Eddie and is the only American they've ever met, and they think that that's the way we all cut our hair. <laughs> oh, the up top mullet. Right? 90s, 90s yeah. were unique with hairdos. 90s so, hairs were um, rough. 90 hair. Really rough. Yeah. yeah. Thank God I was in the whole time. All right. Go ahead, Marcus. <laughs> all right. If we run away and join the circus, what would we do? Oh. I would do the trapeze. Ah, there's another trapeze <laughs> artist in this group. You're the first, you're out of the five, six guests we've done now this recording session. You're the fifth, <sighs> what, the fifth at five out of six. Yeah. Oh, geez. I love it. I, I'm the only one who wants to be in the clown car so far. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to do that either because the SDVs and the heights of the trapeze and definitely don't want to get in the lion cage. Like, <laughs> like part deep. Yeah, we still got to figure yeah. them out. I mean. Yeah. All right. Wizard. <laughs> Give us one of Eddie's bad habits that you'd like to see changed. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's wow. literally collapsing on the- <laughs> Well, hell, we'll just give it to both of you. One from each. Well, I have to say, this is actually a huge answer to prayer. One of the small miracles of pretrial confinement was he called me two weeks after being in bed. God answered your prayers. I finally stopped Nicorette because he can't chew gum in the brig. So he's off of Nicorette. And that is my answer. Well, how about that? That's <laughs> awesome. That was the biggest habit that? I wanted to see him break. It's so like, that- Eddie, how'd you quit dipping? I went to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to do yeah. it. Exactly. All right, Sean, what do you got for us, buddy? Oh, man, so I'm going to dig back into the archives again. This is so good I get to say this publicly for all the world to hear. This is my, this is my time of revenge. Uh, <laughs> when we were growing up, and Andrea knows these stories well, uh, oh, yeah. Eddie used to uh, – he, he was like one of those people that has uh, an unbelievably keen sense of awareness of like noises and sounds around him that annoy him. And so like he would just sit, sit next to me at dinner – and he would have like these very specific, he'd be like, dude, I can hear you chewing. And then he'd be like, hey, take your hands off the table. And so like my whole life as a kid, as you can imagine, you know, I have a Navy SEAL as an older brother. My whole life as a kid is just like dancing around Eddie's sensitivity. <laughs> I don't piss the guy off. And I'm sitting there. And so like there will be days where, like, well, flashbacks will come. And my wife is like, hey, why are you so quiet? I'm like, what? And I'm like, well, it's because I can't make noise at the dinner table because Eddie's going <laughs> to Eddie told me. <laughs> He's going to pound me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, man, uh, they don't have to be the older. I have an older Navy still brother, too, man. And I still, I, I, I do the same yeah. thing. No, everything annoys <laughs> Morgan, though. I do, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. If if in your we'll start Andrea, you help me on this one. If if Eddie could go back in time and live during any period and support any cause, when would it be, and what cause would it be? Hmm. Wow. I don't know. I feel like uh, you know, for you guys, you guys have probably been living that life, like. You know, my husband has been a part of, you know, the most epic war on terror in these past two decades that I don't feel like he would choose another time. I feel like this is the time that he would have chosen because of what we went through and the terrorist attacks on 9-11 was the largest terror attack in our history. And I feel like this has been what he felt he was called to do. 
um, when he enlisted in the Navy and he pointed at the Navy SEAL poster and said, that's what I want to do. I feel like he's actually fulfilled that in this time in history. Wow. What a great answer. Awesome. All right, Marcus, mm -hmm. right, last so question, bud. What was y'all's first car? As a couple? Yep. Both of you. Because the brother ones are always good too. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally, well, Sean, what was Eddie? Was Eddie's first car the Subaru? Oh yeah. So oh, oh. let's talk oh, about this. Eddie and I come from the coolest family of station wagon drivers you have ever seen. <laughs> uh, the commercials yeah, made after you guys, right? The, the oh, Subaru family, yeah, the station. Oh, <laughs> we have a long lineage of Subarus that go back to as uncool and dork times as you can possibly tell. <laughs> so, we, uh, we had, I think it was called a Quantum. Uh, it was before the Outback. Yeah. So, wow. Stick shift uh, Subaru Quantum that we had. So when we were in, in Virginia, we were staged. My dad worked at the Pentagon. We only had one car, and that was like the family car for years. And then I thought it was like this crazy thing, the moment that Eddie... We bought a, a, a 1992 station wagon Volvo. Yes. You know, those like completely square box. tanks. Uh, the gro box. Yes. Grocery the go getter. Yeah. Yep. The, oh, the tank it, box. It weighed, like, no joke, the, the, the third day after I got my license in Indiana, a Ford F 150 hit me at a, at a stoplight. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got an accident. And even though I didn't realize, you know, it was his fault, but. I got out. The Ford's front fender was all crumpled, and like the Volvo had like a ding. A ding. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was epic. And so, yeah, his first car was a Subaru Quantum uh, manual uh, that he completely wrecked. He drove it. Uh, and this is a great story, again, to tell the world for all to, for all to hear. <laughs> he came home one day super pissed. And uh, this is kind of his personality. Like, you knew that he was in trouble if he was kind of like shuffling around. He was a little mad and like, <laughs> didn't know why. And he was like, oh, and my dad was like, what, what's going on? Why are you upset? He's like, I drove the car into a lamp, like a light post in a parking lot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He, like gunned it or, or reversed it too quickly or something like that. And one of the, the, the I think it was the front, the front bumper was completely like, concaved in it was just a v and it was it's was almost hilarious story because i'm like dude you drove into a, a light post yeah in a park <laughs> i think those <laughs> things move i think they move sometimes i did not know that you were in the car oh my god <laughs> the secret is out right now oh, man dude eddie was so upset when he got home he had to tell dad oh <laughs> Okay, so it was the nineties. Did he have did he have uh, speakers in the back throwing a lot of boom out, or did he throw any rims and tires oh, on? Yeah. It was just straight straight wagon. Yeah, straight wagon. Just gotta keep the wagons dope. wagons, right? Yeah, it's gotta, you can't, can't go can't really mess it. Yeah, it trusters. was a mom wagon. It was not like a pimped out car. Or something. <laughs> hey, you get far enough out of the country we lived, it doesn't matter what it was. There was going to be some speakers in it and some kind of rims. <laughs> a subwoofer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, with, no. a quad, with a quadraphonic blow pump. <laughs> yeah, the one out of, out of the living room. You just take the screen off of it. Totally, totally. All right. We got one last one. We got to ask. You know, go ahead, Marcus. All right, favorite superhero. Oh, well, you guys are going to argue with this, probably, because people say the Iron Man is not a superhero, but in my mind, he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we have plenty of Iron oh, Man. Sure. There's, plenty. there's a, I know of multi-billion reasons why he's a superhero this day and age. I mean, right? He's on T. I mean, he's like the superhero, I think. I love it. Awesome. All right. 
Well, I, I don't even know what the time is on that bad minute, so I'm not even going to try and wrap my mind around it. But it's 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 we gotta we gotta get to the to the meat and potatoes of why you guys are with us today and why our listeners are going to be so interested in paying attention to this. And and what we're going to do today is we're going to break it up into two formats. We're going to ask Andrea. We're going to ask you. In your opinion, what was what is one or, or multitude of, of Eddie's greatest never quit stories? And then Sean, we'll switch to you and we'll ask you to describe the current never quit situation that's Eddie Eddie's in right now. So if that's all right with you, Andrew, would you please describe Eddie's greatest never quit moment according to you? Yeah, well, um, I have a good story, so I haven't really had the opportunity to share this with anybody, but um, the now pretty notorious, you know, free Eddie shirt, if you can see this picture, um, there's a great backstory behind this. Mm -hmm. So um, this was when Eddie was in Afghanistan, you know, they were out for a 2 a.m. patrol, it's completely pitch dark, um, and he was on nods, as was everybody else, and the guy behind him um, all of a sudden sees Eddie just disappear. And so it just so happened that in these countries, there's just these huge holes in the ground, yeah. that are wells, which you guys yep. probably know yep. about. Um, and, and in all honesty, these are the, a lot of our service members have passed away by falling into these wells. But what happened was the well was about 40 feet deep. So Eddie fell and he hit whatever water type sludge was there. So thank God there was about eight feet of water. And so my husband has all the quals. So he's a sniper, he's a breacher, he's a medic. So as you can imagine, that's over a hundred pounds of gear and a ruck and everything. So while his teammates were trying to fish him out of here, they were throwing down ladders, they were throwing down 550 cord. None of it was working. Um, it was too far down. So he ended up having to tread water for about 40 minutes oh um, my God. while they figured out. So at that point, you know, at some point during this process, he starts to abandon, you Wait, know, the rock, the just, gear. Just, just one second. What do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh my God. For 40 minutes. You're a Navy SEAL. Dude, we had a hundred <laughs> pounds of gear in a confined well space. What are you talking about, dude? I know. I know. Exactly. That's the point. Like, of course he had all that on the whole time. He didn't ditch it at all. 40 minutes was nothing. <laughs> nothing. Dude, don't, don't send that out for all, man. Dude, he can tread. He dude. will tread. So he tread water. As a matter of fact, he, he turned it into pudding and he <laughs> cemented the side of the wall. He, and created, he created stairs. <laughs> as he beat it in, he whipped the mud into cement. Yeah, they pulled the, uh, the, exact, the oh mud my out of his thing. He, he brought every steps. piece of kit that he went in with out with him. This is this is the true story, not the Frogman version. Thank of the you. Story. I Thank know you. how you guys are. Thank no, you. Thank you. What? Oh, okay. What? Gonna, okay. I tried. I tried, brother. You tried. <laughs> you tried. Thank you. <laughs> so basically, what happened was there was an Afghani that was with them. He um, knew that there is a secondary tunnel that goes down that gets further into where you know he was. So they got down. They were able to retrieve him out. So by this time, 40 minutes later, he's hyped out. He's blue. They take him to a nearby village to warm him up. And so the story doesn't end there. It gets, it gets crazier. So he refuses to be medevaced out. Um, he's by the fire. He's 
practically naked, maybe just long johns. And then he hears them calling a medevac and he's like, no, 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 I won't leave. Well, it's not for him. It's for one of the Terps who's having a seizure. And this is like, you know, in the midst of all this going on, there's firefights just here and there. Well, then after all of this, he gets warmed up. And of course, as you guys do, you, you know, you regroup and it's like, oh, well, someone needs to go back and get that rifle. We can't leave the rifle in the well. So guess who volunteers to go get the rifle? Eddie. My husband. <laughs> so this part is on video, which NCIS has this video right now. So hopefully we will get it back. But they show him going down into the secondary, you know, tunnel, um, jumping in the well. Uh, and he's naked. So he does one <laughs> breath hold and he doesn't come up with it. And then he's like, okay, he does one more. You see his little Irish biscuits, like, you know, press the water <laughs> as he goes back down. So the second dive, the second breath hold, he comes back up with the rifle. And this is my favorite part. He loses his wedding ring. Oh, which I still to this day oh, no. think he survived, but you know what? I still give him crap that he wants that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the ultimate <laughs> wedding ring loss story. And it's not lost. We know right where it's at. <laughs> we, we do know where it's at. The we, GPS yeah, sticks on that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, okay. So, if you look really closely at the picture on the shirt, you can even, this is the picture they took of him after he got out of the well. And this is the sniper rifle in his hand that he went to retrieve. And if you look closely, you can see a little white highlight here of the sludge still in his beard. Oh, that's awesome. That's my never quit story. That <laughs> is epic. I epic. think I fell in a couple of those pits true. too and it was oh sludge. Oh my God. Yeah, you uh, did. <laughs> nasty. <laughs> nasty. Oh, my God. Well, I, that is an awesome Never Quit story. <laughs> what I'd like to do now, if you could, is is talk about how I, you had mentioned a little bit before in our, our pre-interview talk that you had known Eddie a long time ago. And then talk us to him about that time, what he was like in high school, and then bring us to where you guys reconnected and got married then. Okay. So, yeah, like as Sean said, they lived all over the country. Their dad was in the Army, worked for the Pentagon. So he was raised all over the world, all overseas. And when they came to where I was born and raised um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, what were you guys, Sean? You were like... He, he was, was just in high school and I was in fifth grade. Okay. So Eddie was in high school. So we actually didn't go to the same high school, but we had the same group of friends. And we had met at 16 and 17 years old. And... We basically were best friends. We um, we had a lot of fun together. We were just, I don't know, we were so connected. We were always connected. And um, we basically were best friends leading up to when I left Indiana. I was about, uh, I think, 18, 17 or 18. Um, I left Indiana. Eddie eventually at 19 years old enlisted in the Navy. Um, he just, I think, woke up one day. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't tell anyone in his family. Yep. He just decided to enlist. And as I mentioned this before, Sean is cracking up right now. It's so awesome. Yeah. Well, his dad's army. Okay. So he goes and just randomly enlists in the Navy and he walked into the recruiter's office. And I said this before, but 
he it's the recruiter's office in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He looks up at the wall and he's like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do the hardest thing. I want to be a Navy SEAL. Now, back in the day, you could not just go and be a Navy SEAL. Yeah. You, you had to pay your dues, which I think was the right way. So he went, he enlisted in the Navy. He's a medic. So he was actually with the Marines. So he did many, like uh, several tours with the Marines. He wow. was one of the first to do, um, to be allowed to go through um, Marine Scout Sniper School. I mean, that's unheard of. I don't know if there's another person that's, that's done that. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Um, but this basically took him to, uh, he was at Camp Lejeune. He had done multiple, multiple attempts to try to be allowed to screen for BUDS. He basically hit every roadblock there was known to man. His last effort to do this, finally, someone higher up took mercy on him, signed off. He was able to do the screener. He passed the screener. Um, so you, know why that, you know why that is, right? Why is that? The Marines, they love their docks, especially yeah. if they're squared away. And they don't, yeah. if you're not, they won't keep you around. They'll, they'll rotate them real fast. That FMF yeah. and that whole pipeline that they go through. Yeah. So if they wouldn't let him, go, that's the problem with being squared away. Yeah. If you get you know, like, hey, just go over here and then you can, then you'll go to Buds. They tell you that, but then, so if you're a dirtbag, they're not going to let you go to Buds. So you got to be the most, and if you're too squared away, that that's the problem too. Yeah. Then there, there's no fudge with us and yeah. if true frogman. So that that's why that yeah. happened. Especially in the yeah. core, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty much his last ditch effort. He was ready to quit. He he re just really did not see it was going to happen. They were so adamant about not letting him go. So, um, the point where we intersected was actually he went through buds. He was class two five two. He had gone through SEAL qualification training. There's another. That's the. Uh, there's another. I just person. want to note that two five two was the most difficult <laughs> buds class <laughs> in the history. It was the basic last underwater demolition class, uh, wizard. I know that because oh. I was there with him. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. to the last true frogman, I'll right? That. Yeah, I believe we all received plaques that actually say that. It says hardest buds class in I, history. I got a letter from yep. from the admiral saying your class is no longer valid. Because class two five two is now the hardest, the only official <laughs> hard buds class. You you same thing have yeah, you two, remember it was, two, it two, was eight. 78 too two. didn't have anybody yeah, graduate. Yeah, yeah, they're done. They're Those done. guys came back and said, "Yeah, no, you're the hardest class." The Eddie Nobel and I both class. feel very bad about that, guys. But the wizard agrees with me. I agree. Oh, that's <laughs> painful to hear him. So and he's emphatic about it too. I know. All right, so where did you guys come back together? Okay, so Eddie had just finished his um, 18 Delta school for where they go, you know, medic school for the SEAL team. Um, he was actually supposed to be driving cross country from where that is held all the way to do all types of stuff. He was supposed to swim with great whites. He could have got along really well with you, David. Yeah. Um, well, he happened to come back to our little small town. He reached out to my mom and dad and he asked them for my number to kind of, in his words, he said, let me know he'd made something up himself. So this is 10 years after oh, we wow. initially had first huh. met at 16, 17. Mm -hmm. so we were That's a pickup line. Probably best one ever. 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 <laughs> ever. Sean, I, God, he's smooth. He, he, he knew what he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Eyes locked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never heard that line before, but uh, I don't doubt it for a second. That guy was, <laughs> he was honed in. Yeah. So 
at that point, we were 26 and 27. Little did he know I was a single mom with two kids. So who wouldn't want to you know, date me? Um, and he basically, I feel like, you know, when he told me, he said he thought of me all those years. He always like looked at it as I, I was the one that got away and we were, we were best friends. We weren't like really romantically involved. So this was definitely this intersection when we had reconnected, um, it was different because we were trying to navigate, is this going to be something more than just, you know, a friendship? Are we going to try to make this into like a relationship? So yeah, 26 and 27, we reconnected. That was a whirlwind. And then we actually ended up doing a long distance relationship, me residing in Indiana. And then Eddie was going, which you guys can attest to. I had no clue what an ABCL was. Um, and- <laughs> Thank God. Eddie, Eddie yeah. would have been doomed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think he kept that very on the DL while we were in this courtship, but he actually would. Oh, there's no fly. way you would have stuck around for that. No, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, there's a reason kids, behind that. Too, yeah. that's, that's, that look, that says a lot about him too, because it, I was a running gun and frog, man. I was in that life, me and my brother, no wife, no kids. And especially at 27, that, that stretch, right? Th- we always say if we go back to any age, it'd be 27. 27 to 30 wow. years old. So the, oh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the guys who do have the wives. That's tough enough. And then you, you said it. I mean, when you when a, when a woman to step into another bull's pasture is a big deal, right? Especially for a frog man if he's not around. So the fact that he fell in love with you and that boy. Children. Yeah, man, that that. That says so much about it. I, at that age, wouldn't have done that. But when I met Melanie, she had a son, and he, he's mine. That's my kid, right? So yeah. there's something about how special you are that shifts mm-hmm. something in guys like got like us that, that makes that happen, truthfully. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, that's, to me, this is just the epitome of like, the man that Eddie is. He's never afraid to take on a challenge. I mean, talk about a challenge. You're getting married, and you're turning into a dad all in the same, you know, false swoop. So um, we actually got married May of 2017. We did it in the span where we're both 27 years old. So we did it right before he turned uh, 28. Um, and we basically just dove head first into a long distance relationship. I stayed in Indiana. I resided there with my two young children. Um, he would go back and forth. He would fly in for 24 hours, 48 hours, um, just to make our relationship work. Mm. And I, I didn't know at that time what that looked like being a new guy, your first workup, but knowing what I know now, I cannot believe that he did that. I just, it's incredible. So, um, yeah, we basically, um, moved and relocated to San Diego, California, um, became a whole family in 2008. And then we lived in the same military housing, our whole career, um, right up until this past, uh, June. So it's been a crazy, crazy journey. We've seen a lot. We've lost a lot of people. Um, he's been in, you know, uh, eight tours, 14 of those years in the military were with the seals. Um, so that's a long time. And, um, we're still standing. Yeah. What what kind of dad was he at first? Was he what did he do the blade hand buds instructor dad routine or or was he able to subdue oh, that God. and really, you know, just dive into this fatherhood rule cuz that's a tough time to do it, right? Well, anyone will tell you Eddie is the biggest softie. He is not the disciplinarian <laughs> at all. That is me. I'm, I'm the heavy. I'm the disciplinarian. I think he's barely ever yelled at our kids. Like he, 
he was a dad. He was a husband. He was home. He was present. And as you guys know, a lot of men that are called into the lifestyle of a Navy SEAL and the battle rhythm that you guys have to sustain, there is a lot of men that have a very hard time balancing being a Mm -hmm. warrior and being a present father and husband. And my husband did it amazingly and he continues to do it. Um, So yeah, I, I would say it's a testimony to the man that he is. Wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, you see it all the time. I I know just being a single guy trying to turn the switch off, so to speak, and and mm-hmm. and have normal relationships with people outside of the teams. And so the fact that he can come home and you said, you know, eight deployments, eight combat deployments, that takes its toll, but it seems his character and you talked a little bit about his faith before and, and, you know, can you describe a little bit about that and, and how that pays a role in your life as well too? Oh, well, I think it's, I think it's absolutely everything. And I think you'll, you'll hear a little of that in the letter that he wrote is really sweet. He called me last night um, and he, and he wanted to relay that letter to your audience. So you'll get to read a little bit of that, but you know, it's funny because Eddie was a little, you know, Catholic boy and I was like a little conservative Protestant girl and we both connected at 16 and 17 both in our wild you know kind of teenage days and then when we got back together I literally had a list a mile long for this guy I had been through an extramarital affair with my ex I was not willing to be married again to anyone that did not have faith at the center of their life and so Hmm. I gave him a list a mile long. One of those was we would not be together before our wedding night. Little did I know he could go to Coronado and get it whenever he wanted. He just <laughs> he was that type of a guy. Like I didn't know what I was even asking of him. Like, you know, people throw themselves at Navy SEALs. And I was telling this guy a list a mile long, like, we won't do this. You have to have this. Like, I know we're best friends, but if we do not have this piece of a pu- the puzzle being got at the center of our relationship, I will, it's non-negotiable for me. So it's really funny for the first couple of years in our marriage, he was really trying to, you know, I feel like I was trying to make him fit into my mold of like, what does it look like to be faith-based and live this life? And I was like, what did you bring me into? This is like the den of iniquity. Like we're in the epicenter of all this stuff. And for me, what happened was years, you know, came and went, we really navigated through that community and our faith has been a sustaining factor in all of it to the point where, um, you know, I would sometimes throw stuff at him like, you know, you said you do this or you do that or whatever. And he's like, listen, I did not know how crazy you were about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) My, you know, I went to church every Sunday. I'm raised in a Catholic home. Like I just didn't know. And that kind of ended my measuring stick of what his faith like looked in comparison to my faith life. And I feel like it took quite a while, but we really hit our stride. I mean, we hosted Bible studies in our home. Um, we encouraged people through our ups and downs. I mean, I'm not going to lie, you know, going through reintegrations early in the SEAL team, we really had a lot of ups and downs. And we would share those stories openly with people in the community. We would tell, so people would hit those walls and be like, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay married to this person. I can't keep doing this lifestyle. And we would openly share our stories, our struggles, our highs and our lows in order to you know, kind of witness to people. Um, and I think that's been something that we've done throughout our entire career. And so the, the answer is, 
I think it's made a difference. I think it's why we're still standing. I think it's why we've never quit because that commitment that we made that day in 2007 has been underlined and sustained by our faith in God. And it's only grown us closer together. Mm. And um, I just think it's made all the difference, actually. I, I always, you know, I, I never had faith in my life when I was in the teams until the very end. And and I always, there was a couple guys, my first platoon, there was this one guy who was the, really the only guy that was devout in a way that he was really adhered to it. And then my second platoon, the one I was downrange, two guys in particular, uh, and I always used to be so amazed that they, in the midst of this madness of whatever, that they could be anchored, that their morality could be anchored. And I'd always, I, I think back now and we talk about what would we do differently if, if we could go back. And for me, the biggest thing would, if I could have a guy like Eddie to mentor me in my faith, if I would have had accepted, you know, somebody like, uh, in, you know, inspiration to be faithful, I think it would have been very different for me. And I would have been able to manage the stressors of, of what the teams does. You know, I think it's a really testament to, you know, who you are and your morality as a couple. That's really, really, uh, you know, special to hear. So thank you for showing, sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, we're going to shift now yeah, over to Sean. Does that sound? Yeah. I thank you so much, Andrea, for those incredible stories. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. I, I think uh, I, I just, it's so nice to, you know, uh, the wizard talks about Eddie in such a, a great way about their time and buds together. It's good to hear your yeah. perspective as well, too. But Sean, if you would, yeah, it was good to see you smiling still. Yeah, you left. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, if, uh, I, if I can, I'll, I'll interject and just say at the tail end of Andrea's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's trite phrases all the time that people throw out about you know behind a strong man is an even stronger woman. Um, Andrea has been the glue that has kept this family together. You're looking at a hero that doesn't wear a uniform, someone that doesn't need a cape. She's, she's really kept the family together in a time that is unimaginably difficult. She's been through Eddie in every deployment. She's raised three kids sometimes with a father who's fighting wars and, and, and done everything. I, I couldn't tell you in terms of a team never quit, in terms of an ethos, in terms of the faith. You're never going to see and look at a person on screen or meet in person that, that is stronger than she is oh wow Johnny, i love my brother-in-law <laughs> no the relationships of women that stand by men in the teams I, I was in a relationship for the majority of my career and the person i was with it was going through deployments and everything that goes along with that which can't even be described to someone who's not lived through it in this case andrea i mean they deserve equal credit to the men who actually go through being in the teams, the, the women that stand by them. So that is not to be underestimated by any means whatsoever. Sean, if you could, would you please share your impression of, of the current never quit situation that Eddie's involved in and kind of take us through uh, what's going on, what, what's, what's happening, how he is, your impression of it, and then What's ahead of, 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 of everything? Sure. So the, the quickest way to, to say it is that we're fighting a battle now at home uh, on another front and of another kind and with different weapons and another caliber. And uh, 
in a sense, you know, Eddie will tell you, you know, he's faced every enemy that we fought since 9-11, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. And I think that in some senses what we're facing right now um, is one of the most difficult that he's done yet. Uh, but he's got his family at his back and, and uh, the community at his side, and so he's, he's buoyed by that. But to really just put it in a, as quick and as simple terms as I can, um, he was deployed last year as the chief of a platoon uh, to Missoula, Iraq, to clear out ISIS. Uh, it was heavy urban warfare, as you guys know. Um, and during the middle of that platoon, he ended up having to fight a battle on two fronts. Uh, he's fighting the enemy in one sense, and then he finds out that there's a small mutiny happening within his platoon, and so he has to have fight another battle among the men that he's leading. Um, I, I don't want to, uh, if we don't want to, to cast too much aspersions on, on some folks, but what happened was there was a couple of guys who were new to fighting. They weren't combat tested, and... Um, pretty much were complaining about the danger that they were being put in that were telling Eddie that, that they didn't like his leadership and his tactics. And so as any true leader would, he addressed it right at its face. He brought them out, uh, reprimanded them, benched them for a while, and then they reintegrated later on. Um, it was something that he never thought that he would have to talk about in public, nor would we as a family ever have to defend. It was a decision made in real time about tactics and leadership and, and pushing forward. Because again, when you're there, his, his, his duty is to take the fight to the enemy. He can't be worrying about guys at his six. As a matter of fact, you have to have full faith and confidence that everything that they're doing is in unison and lockstep with the leader and the vision, uh, you know, and the foresight of someone who's leading his men into battle. And so there's this, you know, small mutiny that happens. Eddie thinks that he quells it. But what happens is that he gets back uh, and he's going to go to a SEAL Tactics Training Command, um, which is he's going to end up being the leader again of these guys that had a small little or small kind of insurrection during his deployment and that didn't sit well with them they thought that their reputation was going to be at stake uh, and as you guys more know they're no more than anybody else um reputation mm -hmm. is everything in the teams it. it's one of those things mm -hmm. where if you don't put out if you're if you're known as a guy that's not going to take the fight you're known as a guy that that questions leadership uh and it's someone that you have to worry about in battle you don't belong on the teams. And so what happens was it started off uh, quite simply as a whisper campaign to try and get Eddie not to have this leadership position. That was one of the, the requests was, hey, look, I, I didn't like Chief Gallagher in the way that he treated us during our last deployment. Uh, and we don't want him in this leadership position. And this small group of guys was told no repeatedly um, that they shouldn't be doing what they were doing, that this isn't what the teams was about, that Eddie was a true leader, that he had the respect of his peers and colleagues. Uh, and that he was indeed entitled and not only that expected to be in a leadership position after he deployed um, at Tradet. And so he uh, he was notified at the beginning of this of this year of 2018. This thing has been going on for so long. Uh, he was notified that he was being investigated um, for actions taken in combat. And what happened was these guys who who've kind of staged this small mutiny, who were complaining and questioned his leadership, had then fabricated stories and went outside the chain of command, told NCIS directly, the investigatory body that looks into the Navy, that my brother had committed various atrocities of, of wild nature that just didn't make sense. And what usually, I, you know, the first question that we get when you realize the situation that my family is in, that my brother is facing, that Andrea is facing, is how did this even happen? How did it even get this far? Uh, and we've always kind of had this knee-jerk reaction is that we had that same question ourselves. We never really thought we'd be in this position. 
because of Eddie's reputation, because of the teams and because of the command and all the things that you guys face, what was said about him and these actions, and I can get into specifics if you like, um, were at the outset kind of laughable in the way. We thought, man, this is pretty ludicrous. This thing that started off as an investigation is going to go away because nothing is being said has, has any bearing on the truth. Um, there are people that were with my brother that have lined up with us since then and said, hey, look, I'm here to speak out for you on your behalf. Uh, none of this is what's being said has happened, and I'm happy to testify for you, with you, and by your side. And so we thought, you know, in some senses, what was said in an, in an effort to get Eddie not to be in a leadership position during the last year of his teams, you know, he's been in 14 years, he was going to finish up his 15th year in 2018 and then retire, finally hang up his uniform after 20 years. Wow. Um, and give that last year of his service bestowing all of the experience that he's had on eight tours of duty all over Iraq, all over Afghanistan, um, to the teams. And they wanted to rob him of that because they were afraid of criticism. They were afraid of being, of, of their reputation being known as someone who didn't want to put out, uh, who didn't want to fight, who actually would quit. Wow. And, uh, that was the seed. Uh, and that seed has now grown to this treacherous plant where these investigators took these false and malicious allegations against Eddie at face value. And, and, and from then, uh, where it started out as an investigation was this just incredible, horrible raid of, uh, Eddie and Andrea and their kid's house oh my. in San Diego. So in June of this year, investigators arrested my brother, even though he wasn't home, he was training he, they, they handcuffed him and put him in solitary confinement, they took him out of his leadership position. Andrea's out of the house. They go in, they raid the home. My third grade nephew, my brother's son, is there in his bed in his underwear along with my high school nephew. These NCIS agents with assault rifles at the, at the side pull, my kid, or pull Eddie's kids out of the house, put them in the street and keep them there for hours while they raid the home. They take all sorts of things. Uh, his laptops and electronics in an effort to find things to corroborate these stories, um, which they didn't do, by the way. And then we realized that, you know, pardon my, my friends, that shit hit the fan and that this thing got real. Uh, and I think it was that point that all of us really saw what was the start of what was to come. Uh, and it was a really sad affair, to, just to put it, I guess, nicely. We were, we were rocked at our core. Mm -hmm. uh, and since then, it's been incident after incident after incident where we realized that this thing, and I, I can't stress this enough, this investigation and what's happening to my brother, a guy who deserves anything but this kind of treatment, it's an investigation in search of not the truth, of not justice, of not finding evidence, of not following facts. It's an investigation in search of careerism and pride and something that they want to call victory, a win. It's in search of a win by taking the scalp of a Navy SEAL and pinning it to someone's career so that they can make themselves look good. Uh, and I know that that mm. sounds over the top to folks who might not be familiar with this, but I can tell you that we've been living this situation for a year now, and at every step of the way, I cannot tell you how deeply disappointed and betrayed our family has felt. Every step that there has been no decency and that there's been no common sense and that there's been no recourse for a guy who above all else, right? Like if you would expect innocent until guilty or fairness in the legal system, you would expect that to be applied to someone like Eddie who has, who has literally fought for freedoms 
and he believed in those freedoms. You know, he wore that flag on his uniform and on his, on his, you know, on his vest as he went out and fought for us abroad. And now at home, it's such an injustice in a way to think about the treatment that he's undergoing. And so right now, the situation mm-hmm. we're in is Eddie's been in jail behind razor wire uh, in a brig in San Diego for three months. Mm. And we'll be there likely, we're told, until next summer. So 10 months in jail before mm. he even gets the ability to refute the accusations that started a year ago. So the only thing that he's been able to do is say, not guilty, didn't do it. At every step of the way, we haven't been able to put witnesses forward to come out and say, hey, I was there, I saw this, this didn't happen. We, we were fortunate in some small way to have a leak happen where someone saw an NCIS document that was specifically omitted from Eddie's preliminary trials that the two generals, the Iraqi generals that were with him on deployment at the incident in question and said, this didn't happen, uh, and Eddie would never do this. And by the way, there are a ton of people around during this alleged incident, and uh, it's crazy that these things are going on. Uh, we'd be happy to testify on Eddie's behalf. He's the best. But, and this is also one of the things, like the, the, the Iraqi generals were literally in their speeches, they're like, I've worked with everybody, Army, everybody, uh, mm-hmm. for years. And they're like, Eddie was the best chief we've ever worked with. He was the most professional. He was the hardest working. Uh, We love him. And I'd be happy to come to the United States of America to testify on his behalf. And so, you know, our family has been quiet for a while. We were kind of thinking this limbo of of people were like, hey, don't talk about this because it'll it'll hurt your chances. And uh, we were so unfamiliar. As you can imagine, none of us in my family are lawyers. My dad was a soldier for 22 years in the Army. Eddie's a fighter. Um, Mm -hmm. we're all learning this process as we go, but right now, I mean, it's talk about fighting back. We got the battle of our lives ahead of us. And, you know, I, I said this to you, uh, David over the phone, and I've said this quite a bit since then, you know, I, I consider it an honor now. My brother's fought for me and for all of us for 20 years. And now it's my privilege to fight for him. So that's what we're doing. Wow. That, that's, Hmm. that is an incredible story. Um, again, I just, it, it pains me that somehow justice is being escaped and even just the natural, the natural order. My, my father's been an attorney for 55 years. I grew up in the law. I've been on the, the wrong end of the law in terms of some other things um, and the injustices that exist within it. Can you describe how your impression of the uniform code of military justice and NCIS, and how, what's different than what you guys are seeing in a military court versus what you might be able to get in a civilian court? Recourse is one word that comes to mind. Oversight and recourse. And what I mean by that is the ability to, at a time, say, hey, what you're doing doesn't make sense. I have some options to hold you to account for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UCMJ, the Uniform Court of Military Justice, you know, it's a military system, so it operates in a world where if someone does something and they have an order to do it and the authority is there, there's usually little recourse that someone can push back. And so one of the things that we felt betrayed by this entire time is we're like, well, why isn't there anybody stepping in with some common sense and being like, well, this, this doesn't hold up. Like, I've met team guys that have never known my brother that look at his service record and they're like, wait a minute. And then they hear the story. And then they read the news and they read the charges and they look at me and they're like, how do, and again, the first question we have is, how is this even happening? This, none of this adds up. And I, you know, we've been screaming 
since day one about none of this makes sense. None of it makes sense. You know, one of the things that is, and you guys have probably talked about this in other podcasts. It's like, what is the best predictor of future behavior? And it's past behavior. Past behavior. Yep. And if you look at Eddie's record of valor and leadership, I mean, he got number one SEAL chief and number one SEAL platoon on this last deployment in question, which means that the Navy conferred upon him an honor that said, hey, look, you're going to get promoted. But not only that, like among all the guys deployed and the job that you did, it was so exemplary, we're honoring you with the number one SEAL chief and the number one SEAL platoon. Right on, you know, get some. This is what you guys are supposed to do. And he was put in for a silver star wow. on this uh, last deployment. Like, the thing is, is like all of, all, you know, I, I know that in sometimes and I can get going as you, as you can well see, but like, yeah. you know, I'm his brother and I'm fighting for him. I literally walk through fire for the guy. But if you look at this thing just objectively on its face, most people have come to us and say, this does not smell right. It does not look right. And so to your question about UCMJ and, and NCIS, the thing that I have, I've learned, uh, and I have talked to, as you can imagine, everybody that I fathomably can, I've talked to intel officers who've, wa- who've worked abroad and people that work with NCIS, uh, politicians, I've, I've talked to career bureaucrats at the Pentagon, and the thing that, you know, the thing that I get often all the time is, is these guys see that as their job, not to, in essence, go after justice or find evidence, but they are facilitated, enabled, and then rewarded for this type of behavior. They see it as, they're not uniformed, but they're, they're like, look, the Navy is over there and the SEAL teams are, are this insular group. If I can find one of them and take them down in, in, a, in a legal victory, that's a checkbox on my resume and I get promoted. And you hear this and it's this insane thing that, that I've heard of quite a bit, even in the civilian world, where prosecutors make careers out of convictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make careers out of these types of wins that we keep on hearing about. And that's the prism by which our family has been explained to us why the system's operating this way, that it's a win and a not a win, that these guys need a win. They're in too deep now. They, they took the word of, of people who lied about what happened, and because they did that, mm-hmm. they're pot committed. They need to go, and because of that, they need a win. And the, ver- the very first thing that my brother was told by the JAG that was assigned to him was, hey, look, uh, they might not get you on the big things, but they're going to get you on something. They can't walk out of here without a win. Wow. And that's the first thing he was told by his JAG officer when they met him. And to hear that, to hear that this isn't about justice and it's not about evidence, you know, it's not about finding, you know, yeah. oh, here's a fact over here and here's someone's statement and then here's a countervailing statement. It's not that. It's like, so our, our lawyers phrased it in, in terms of confirmation bias. They said, well, this is what I believe and therefore I'm going to look at everything mm-hmm. that I can to confirm what I already think happened, even though the evidence doesn't point that way. And so, yeah, it's a long answer to your question, but that's kind of our impression thus far of, of, of UCMJ and, and just the insane treatment that, that Eddie is getting. Wow. I think that overreach is definitely evidenced by, if you look, there was an article titled The Jekyll and Hyde Portrait Starts Out With That. It was in the Navy Times, I believe, quoting some of the comments made by the prosecution. And when I read that, I, you know, it seems absurd in, in my uh, some of the things <laughs> they've said. Freaking disgusting, man. Yeah. Well, the the amount of phone calls that I've gotten from team guys, just literally, they, they like, w- one of the duties I've served is Eddie's brother is literally as a sounding board for team guys to call me and just yell. 
<laughs> to, to just, to just that's one thing we know how to do. That's for sure. <laughs> and it's just a string of expletives uh, because it's it's. They heard what just what you said, where the prosecutor at the, the end of his his uh, preliminary hearing, his Article Thirty Two said, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty accurate. It's mm-hmm. oh, Eddie is the reason that ISIS does what they do. That he's a PR tool. As a matter of fact, he used the phraseology. He said Eddie is manna. From heaven for ISIS as what? a recruitment tool for what they do, and it was at that moment that I heard that, and I was like, well, "I'm going to win. I'm going to take you. I'm going to go after this." I'm like, "You have no idea what my brother does. You have no idea the harsh realities that they face. You have no idea the commitment, the time, the blood, the sweat, all of, all of the things that you could possibly fathom and more that he has done to fight these people time and again. He signed right back up to go back over there." Without a question, he reenlists every time he's in theater because he believes so firmly in what he does and the job that he does and how he does it and the men that he serves with. And for the, for a guy that's never served in combat, that's a career lawyer, and he sat in the same courtroom wearing the same uniform, and he looked at my brother and he says, you know what? I empathize with ISIS. You're the reason that they do oh. what they do. And I, I just was like, that's it. That's it. I'm, there's no more fairness in the system. I'm, I'm off the Richter. I'm, I'm taking the fight to you. If, if I freaking die doing it, I'm defending my brother at every clip of the way. Oh, that's, that's oh, that. That was. Let me just amplify on that. That's Commander Christopher Chasplick. He said, and I quote: "This is quoting from the Navy Times. SEAL Team, <clears throat> SEAL Team Platoon Alpha signed up to protect America, but Gallagher instead handed ISIS a propaganda manna from heaven." End quote. Unconscionable. Despicable. Yeah. I I commend you and 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 on the fight that's ahead of y'all, Andrea. We talked a little bit about and what you're what you're sharing with Eddie and the moment and saying that this is happening for a bigger reason and a bigger purpose, and that somehow God's plan for for Eddie and his family and for all of you that's something positive, and he's really believing this, and you guys believe that this is. This is a bigger picture that's evolving in terms of God's plan. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and about Eddie's state of mind and where his heart is right now? Yeah, well, you know, I feel like at the onset of this, when my husband was taken from NICO, which is the treatment facility that he had waited over a year to get into, um, NICO is a holistic treatment center that helps to give people with multiple combat deployments all of the tools and resources they need to transition and do it with excellence. So he was um, about halfway through this program. He had been, you know, doing all types of holistic therapies. He had also had MRI scheduled to check for TBI and all of the common things that guys of your caliber inevitably get exposed to over this much combat. Um, I wouldn't, let me just interrupt. They're not common. I mean, I, I work extensively with veterans, the, the, the 10 different variables, especially the more combat you see these variables expound on levels that are mind blowing for, for the scientists, for the med, for the doctors, for psychologists, they cannot believe what we're capable of doing in Eddie over and over and over and over again. So to go in to get access to that, to manage this secondary life that's ahead, 
that's a powerful moment in, in, in his life, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is something that was, you know, going to be the catalyst for us approaching retirement and having the tools for him to navigate the transition from leaving the brotherhood, leaving the SEAL teams that he committed his life to and transitioning into civilian life, which, as you guys know, that is a difficult navigation of itself. Brutal. And so um, with that said, you know, he started this treatment um, in August. Uh, he was scheduled for, you know, anywhere from seven to 10 MRIs on different parts of his body. Um, when he was actually um, kidnapped, is the best way to put it, by um, the order of NCIS, it was on September 11th. Wow. And um, it's interesting because Eddie and I, you know, we're in communication. I was here in Florida. He was in San Diego at Camp Pendleton. And that morning I was telling him how I was learning about the story of Joseph in the Bible. And I was just sharing with him how much the podcast had um, impacted me that I was listening to because I really felt like the story of Joseph just embodies someone that has been lied and betrayed and mistreated and literally thrown in a pit. Um, And less than three hours later, the only other conversation I had with him that day was he called me again and he said, you know, this is September 11th and he was in some type of a yoga class or going to a yoga class, but coming from a music therapy. And the lady was talking about forgiveness and he was like, you know, I just think that's a stretch to have someone who's never been in battle to talk about forgiveness and in the context of forgiving the terrorists. And I said, well, you know, I'm sure what she was insinuating was forgiveness is frees us from, mm-hmm. um, you know, the bitterness that can really overwhelm and overtake you if you're letting it take root. So next thing I heard was a call from my lawyers, um, Eddie's lawyers, saying that he had been kidnapped from NICO. He had been handcuffed. And at that point, I hadn't, I wasn't able to talk to him for 72 hours. He was at um, what we know now was taken. Um, it literally looked out of a like Hannibal Lecter. They had him completely in handcuffs, hands, feet. Um, This guy is five foot eight. Okay. He's a little Irishman. Um, And they, they locked down the whole brig to take him in there, telling him he is the highest threat level in that brig. Wow. They leave him in solitary confinement for 72 hours. So the first time I talked to my husband, we're reeling. We are reeling. We did not know that this was a part of the equation. And the reason that he got there was this. There's only three reasons that you can put someone in this level of pretrial confinement. You're either a risk to yourself, which was not true because he's in this treatment facility at NICO Pendleton. You're a flight risk, which wasn't true. He had gone from D.C. to um, Florida to move us here back to San Diego. So what the prosecution did was an elaborate scheme with one of the informants slash mean girls to write down that they were in fear for their life. Wow. So basically um, allowed them to have the reason to say, you know, he should be locked away because he could be a risk to someone else. Now there was no bearing behind this, but to answer your question, I'm not going to lie. I have laid on my floor. I have taken my kids and I have cried and I've sobbed and I have, I've asked God why. And I've, I've asked him why enough during the course of this time 
But after a couple weeks, and as you can imagine, we're used to fighting battles on a battlefield. We know how to do that. We're fighting a battle for our lives, our children on our home front, being taken out in their underwear by NCIS. Yes, it has plagued me at times. Why? But in those hours where, you know, I feel the most confused, I truly felt that I heard God tell me and speak into me and to Eddie and our situation that, you know, he's called us to this. And like Joseph, I do believe that Eddie will rise from this pit. He will be elevated to a position that he would have not otherwise have had. Mm -hmm. And there's a verse in that story that says, what you meant for evil, God will use for good. And I firmly believe that. And I will say that now. And I will preach that until my dying day. It is sometimes the greatest suffering that births. Um, our greatest victories. And this is the hero's journey for Eddie. I can't explain it. I'm not educated enough to know why the UCMJ, why the prosecution, why the Navy is doing what they're doing. But what I do know is God is faithful and we will continue to keep fighting this fight. Sean has been the best brother that anyone could ask for. Um, I love my husband. My husband's my best friend and um, we're never going to quit. It is the perfect way to end it. We're never going to quit. We will fight for him as he's fought for us. And he deserves better than this. Amen. Sean, what, what can our listeners do? How, what's coming next? Where can everybody go and pay attention to this process so Eddie can get some fair justice? Sure. So we, we have a website set up justiceforeddie.com. And it's, it's really one of those things, you know, we put his bio um, and his kind of remarkable background on there and his story we're updating it with, with the news and information um, uh, soon to come, uh, a clip of this podcast when it comes out. Um, and there you can, keep, you can keep up to speed on what we're doing. But the main ask that I'm always saying is we need folks who can look at this on its face and see the injustice that's going on and come to RA to help us. Um, you know, we're not a family that loves to ask for help. You know, we're, we're stubborn. <laughs> Uh, Andrea will tell you this, Eddie and I share this in common that we hate um, admitting in some points that we're in need. But in this point, you know, the way that the deck is stacked against us, the way that we feel, we could really use the support of of true patriots and folks who believe in this cause. Because what I am saying is that this this may be happening to us specifically, but this is a black eye. This is a bruise on the country. That most of us always feel, you know, when, when something like a VA hospital doesn't serving its veterans, we all feel pain because we realize if it can happen to them, that's the biggest injustice. And so this is the same thing on another front. And so the reason I, I articulate it that way is that for listeners uh, and for, you know, everyday Americans who are hearing this that believe in our troops and want to support them, particularly those who have, who have fought for us abroad, like Eddie, to contact your local elected officials. To, to speak out as much as you can, to bring pressure to bear on the decision makers that we have elected and entrusted with the authority to do things like put Eddie in jail and to say, hey, this isn't right, fix it, right this wrong, treat this warrior the way he needs to be treated, that he deserves to be treated. And so I'm working as hard as I can to get a letter going in Congress right now asking our legislators to, look, if they're not going to get themselves involved in the trial, at least get him out of pretrial confinement, at least let the man see his family, at least let him hug his kids, at least let him properly prepare for trial. 
And so you can do that. You can contact your local elected and do that. Um, it, you know, if, if you're in the SEAL community, um, discuss that among your friends and try and see ways that you guys know internally of, of helping and, and supporting him. Mm-hmm. Um, and just spreading this as much as possible because in some senses, the word's out now and when we could use as much support as we can get. Amen. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, we really appreciate your time, your reflection as Eddie, the the man and the husband and the father and the brother. Um, and I'll tell you what, when, when he gets set free and adjudicated in the future, we'll have you all back on and uh, have Eddie on and and uh, have another laugh at his expense. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like a, a great idea. I'm, I'm, I'm marking those those future events. Down. <laughs> John loves that idea. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. Thank you guys. God bless you. Thank you. Brother. Holy cow, man! Yeah. Imagine that family and what they're going through, what they what they went through over the holidays. I mean, that's heavy, bro. Yeah, that's why we had them out here. Yeah, I mean, that must have been you know a really powerful thing to, to see the kids and to see their. What, what, I mean, was the pain palpable on them? Sure. Um, I mean, everybody knew why they were there, if you will, or knew why they came out and what was going on. So, but but. You know the deal. I don't let any stress behind these gates. Yeah, so man. It's just kind of. Oh, I opened up, just like he would do for for my kids. You just open up the and let them do whatever they want. Took them fishing, and it was great. It was it's. Great. I think one of the great challenges in any type of thing where, you, you know, you're in a predicament that's out of your control is just to find some aspects of humanity that can exist around you in the madness, right? Sure, yeah. When you're going through a bad situation, you don't give up the rest of every part of your life that's good just to focus on that bad one because that's all it'll be. Yeah, it'll devastate you for sure. Well, I I just can't thank Andrea and Sean for coming on, man. What a Mm -hmm. a blessing. If this is your first show listening, then... Wow, what what a heavy first show for you! Uh, if you're coming back for more, thank you so much for your your uh, dedication to us, for being a part of our team. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to know more about what it is we do, please visit us at tnqpodcast.com, dot uh, com, uh, where you can find why we do it, write ups on everybody. Uh, you can also download all our shows there. Uh, we're also on every other podcast platform out there on mobile devices, computers, you name it. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, CastBox. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, every place you can listen to podcasts, we're out there. Uh, we also have certain merchandise if you want to check that out. I go back and, and I just think to myself, my gosh, uh, a guy that has eight combat deployments, never imagined once in his life that he would ever be in this battle. Um, and I, I just, I can't imagine what's going through his mind. Um, but if you've been inspired by what you heard, and we've got, uh, actually we have a, a letter that Eddie uh, drafted yeah, for, for this show. Uh, Andrea had him write something that the wizard's going to read to close our show. Um, if you've, if you've been listening and you really want to get behind this cause and you want to support the Gallagher's, uh, and all of, uh, Eddie's brothers that are behind him and, 
uh, just please visit uh, www.justiceforeddie.com. That's justiceforeddie.com. You can find it under the hashtag Free Eddie. Um, and here's what it says is uh, the Navy SEALs Fund Beyond Brotherhood Brotherhood Beyond the Battlefield, 100% of the donations raised by this campaign will use for the legal defense of Eddie in support of his family. Um, just go ahead and visit that site. Wizard, why don't you read Eddie's letter to One us? more thing is if you don't have the ability to financially support Eddie right now, you can support him by just spreading the word about this. You know, send through whatever means, send it out to three, four more people, and hopefully they'll do the same thing in that way. The word can get out. Now, this is what uh, Eddie wrote here for you all to hear. First and foremost, I want to say how proud I am of my warrior wife and children and how amazingly strong they've been during this crazy time. Andrea has always and continues to surpass every expectation and obstacle that is thrown her way from the Navy and the teams. God has truly blessed our kids and myself by giving her to us. Second, I want to thank everyone who has reached out to me personally or to my family and offered help or support to us in any way. Even though I have not had the opportunity to actually see the support that I'm getting, I can say I'm truly humbled every time Andrea describes to me the different things people are doing and saying to help us through this season. Thank you for believing in me, and please continue to have faith and pray for our family as this trial approaches. Third, and most important, I want to say even though my accusers have not yet come forward, I know who you are and I forgive you. I am choosing to believe deep in my heart you never expected it to go this far and I am praying for you daily. God bless America. Eddie. That's pretty powerful. That's all I got. Yeah, brother, keep your head up no matter what, man. Keep bowing forward. Stay strong, brother. We're out.